because of what Christ has done, we are able to walk into the holiest of holies in heaven and praise him. Praise God. I think that is a wonderful thing. We're going to go ahead and take up our offering tonight. Praise the Lord, everyone. Um, just to clarify on one of those announcements, you're not getting away very far. Uh, it, it's not a vacation. It's just a dinner. I know for us married folk, that's exciting to get away from our kids for an hour or two. Not that we don't love our kids so dearly, but um, it is not a, uh, a, a retreat, even though I think that's a funny word for it, retreating. <laughs> oh, I can't do it anymore. I retreat. I'm going out. But um, it is just a couple's dinner that we're going to be having. Uh, we're planning it uh, currently for Pondies out in their new facility out in Lisbon. Uh, so, But as we get confirmation on things, we'll get you the details. But uh, I'm excited what God is doing in Christian Life Tabernacle. Amen? Amen. And you know, that starts with each and every one of us of what God is doing in our lives. When we just look across the landscape, we tend to, to, uh, to look at the negative things. And we tend to look at all the bad stuff going on with the sicknesses and, and issues going on with our cars or our houses or our family members or, or whatever it might be. But it's also good to take a look around and say, you know what, God, you are good. There are so many good things that are happening. We got to see Brandy return to services after her accident and, and got to see her come in a couple of times now. And that is a phenomenal, great thing to see. We're seeing people getting, you know, getting better from their sicknesses and just all kinds of great stuff happening. I'm excited what God is doing. Amen. What if we can just give the Lord one more hand clap of praise for what he's doing in our lives. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, I'm going to open up tonight with a very familiar verses of Scripture. And I'm excited what God's going to do with us tonight. I'm not sure exactly where we're going, but I do know that God knows. Amen. Amen. So in the book of Ephesians, I'm just going to have you stand for one verse it's in, the, in chapter six and verse 12. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And for just a few moments tonight, I want to talk on the subject of for we wrestle. Pastor, would you pray? Amen. Before you're seated, look to your neighbor and say, you want to wrestle? I may have started something with that one. The human mind is an interesting organ and it's unique among all other uh, animals and species in the world and that we have the ability to problem solve. We have the ability to create. 
we have the ability to do a lot of things that the rest of even primates who they say are, are, the, are some of the closest or, or the, the dolphins or, you know, depending on who you talk to and what you talk to of those that are closest to our mind. That the, the human mind is a truly unique specimen throughout the world. But there's one thing that the human mind can't do, and that is you can't tell the mind to not think about something. I'm going to do a little experiment here, okay? Everybody, if you're not listening, I want you to listen now very in tunely to my voice. And for just a few moments here, I want you to not think about purple giraffes. Okay, what popped in your head? <laughs> it would for you, wouldn't it? Uh, how many thought about a purple giraffe, right? It popped in there, right? A purple giraffe. Because your brain can't not think about something that you told it to. It can't think of the negative. We, what popped, I mean, of course, we all thought about the purple giraffe. If someone tells you not to think of something, it's impossible not to think about it. It's going to get in there. That's just the way your mind works. You can't tell them not to do something. Whatever, you're, whatever comes in is what you're going to be focused on. It's, it's similar to a, a skier. They, they asked a, a downhill skier of how in the world do you get through all those trails without hitting anything, without hitting the trees, without hitting that. And they went, they said one skier went down and all he could think was don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree. And what do you think they did? Hit the tree. Why? Because all they were thinking of was the tree, the tree, the tree. But they asked the successful skier, and he says, well, I don't think about the tree. All I look for is where's the path? Where's the path? Where's the path? And the trees just seem to disappear, and I'm able to make it through. Why? Because what we tell our minds to think about is what happens. Whether we say, don't think about it or think about it. How many times have you laid in bed going, all right, if I get three hours of sleep, if I go to sleep right now, just don't think about and what's going to run through your mind? Whatever it is, you said, it's it just, you can't do it. You can't do it. And it's similar to the scripture that we read at the very beginning. It opens up where it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It starts out with a negative. Don't, we don't wrestle against this. Don't think about this. Don't think about the wrestling match between uh, uh, flesh and blood. How the fight rages with people. How, how we're constantly wrestling with those that we see every day. The great, it, it's, it's a wonderful scripture that we hear about. And it's, it's a great reminder that our battle isn't with each other. Thank you. Whew. I thought I had to stay there a bit longer. Our battle isn't with each other. It's a great reminder that our enemies are not flesh and blood. We have to remember that God loves flesh and blood. He died for them. He loves them. They're not our enemies. Even that one who cut you off on your way to church today. Come on. They're not our enemies. But the one thing when we go through the scripture and we hear it preached and taught so many times is that we forget that we still wrestle. Just because the wrestling match isn't between us and other people, we have to remember there is still a need to wrestle, that we still have to wrestle, that there's still a match, there is a struggle, there is a fight, there is a contest, and we need to win. 
It's not a normal match between flesh and blood. We've got a couple cousins of mine that are really, really good wrestlers. And every week they go in and they contend with each other of who can pin who. Whom, whom, who, whom. Whatever the correct grammar is there. And they fight and they struggle. And at some point, somebody's hands get lifted and they get to win the match. But the Bible clearly says that's not the match that we're against. It's a different kind of wrestling match. It's against something that doesn't fight fair. It's against something that you can't grab a hold of. It's again, it's, it doesn't matter how fast you are or how high you jump. It doesn't matter how much weight you can lift up and put back down. It's a formidable foe. And yeah, it may not be a physical fight, but we still have a wrestling match that we have to deal with every single day of our lives. Four. We wrestle. We wrestle with the with this life, not the external natures or 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 of 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 man or or of woman or or of of people, but we ref, wrestle with life. Life is a struggle. Life is different for everyone. My life is different from yours. My kids' lives are different from mine. Our lives today are different from those that were growing up uh, now versus mine when, yes, I can say 30 years ago. Plus, what my kids deal with is completely different than what I had to deal with. And what I had to deal with was completely different from those of you who grew up 50, 60, 70 years ago. The journey of this life is different for everyone. What I experienced is not what you experienced. The people that influenced my life did not influence you. And if you happen to be influenced you, they probably didn't influence you the same way. And then when we go a little bit broader, what my life would be now would be totally different if I happened to be born in Afghanistan versus Steubenville, Ohio. Or if my mama was... In Zimbabwe or Kazakhstan or some other country that you can think of, what would my life be today? It would be completely different. The problems I had would be different. The challenges I, ha- I would have would be different. The influences I would have would be different. But the one thing that is common for everybody on this planet is that life is a struggle. It's not easy. It's not fair. We understand from our Wednesday night Bible studies, we're going through that exploring God's word, that one of the curses that were put on man, that that man would have to struggle for everything that they have. It says, by the sweat of your brow, that the earth would not bring forth her fruit, that everything that would come would be a struggle. And that's what we have to understand, that we all have struggles in our lives. You can even sit back and say, you know, this past weekend, somebody hit the $1.5 billion Powerball. If you go to church here, let me talk to you about tithing. If you won that, just a quick Bible study. But somebody just won the $1.5 billion lottery. And a lot of people look at that and go, man, if I won that lottery, my problems would be over. Trust me, rich people have 
just as many, if not more, problems than you could ever dream. Money doesn't solve anything. In fact, and I think there's a proverb that says it adds to sorrow. Everyone struggles. This life is a struggle. And we should not think that our wrestling match that we go through every single day is weird or unusual or different from anybody else. In fact, in 1 Peter it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning this fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. How many times you've got up and you're like, why in the world am I fighting this? I've got to be the only one. This is the Bible, folks. This is older than all of us. Yes, even those of you said keep going on the ages. This is this isn't some strange thing happening to you. This happens to everyone. We all have a struggle. We all have this wrestling match. We can never forget that though we we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we still wrestle. What are we wrestling against? The scripture goes into it and says principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I'll be honest with you, when I read this when I was growing up and and, and even into my older years here, yes, I'm getting old, folks. But even as I get older, when I read this, where my mind immediately goes are these evil Warlord government people that are sitting in the dark rooms. That's, where, that, that's, the, that's the connotation that goes in my mind. The guy sitting in the back room uh, conniving and planning world domination of how we're going to oust the Christians and, and, and set up the Antichrist and set up, and, and set up the false prophet. And, and that's where my mind goes. And I sit there and go, wait a second. I live in East Liverpool, Ohio. I'm a lowly IT manager. In a small church, I'm not fighting these people. I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't meet them. I, I don't know who they are. I don't even know if they really exist. What are we talking about here? But when you go down into the actual scriptures and say, yeah, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual weakness in high places, I say, how in the world can that ever affect me? I'm not wrestling against this. The fact of the matter is you are. Because what happens is, is those are, the, those are the, the forces, those demonic forces, those things in this world that are tempting you and causing you or, or allowing the opportunity for you to make the bad decision of sin. It's spiritual wickedness. It's all this amounts to the evilness we find in this world that we have to wrestle with on a day-to-day basis. I, I got into one of those uh, loops on Facebook or, or whatever, the reels, I think they're calling them now, and it started looping through, and I don't know why it's, it started on these, but I couldn't get away from it. And it was about these, these women who uh, were, were older now, but were talking about how they were abused growing up. And I was, it, was, it was heart-wrenching. I'm sitting there listening to these stories, and I'm like, How does this happen? And then it goes to the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one. And then and I'm sitting there going, this isn't isolated. This happens everywhere all the time. And my heart goes out. There is no question that our world is filled with evil. 
We just, again, Wednesday night, we just talked about this. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Lord be. That how evil it was and how evil it is today. We are wrestling with this, folks. It is a battle. It's not just about the evilness that persists at levels of government or leadership, but it's those that we encounter every single day. It's that temptation to do things that we know we're not supposed to do. It's that temptation to not do things that we know we're supposed to do. For he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. The sin of omission is just as great as the sin of commission. But it's a struggle every day. It's a wrestling match that we have to engage in. It's a wrestling match that we can't afford to walk away from. Don't ever think that you can just get out of the daily struggle. Think about through the scriptures. Do you really think, uh, who, who was it, Jacob, could have got the blessing that he had and became Israel if it wasn't for the wrestling match? I'm telling you, the contention in the battle is persistent throughout all the scriptures. It talks about the devil contending over the body of Moses. It talks about Peter's soul is being fought for or contended. It talks about all of our faith being contended. I'm telling you, we have a wrestling match and we can't afford to walk away from it. We can't step back and say, well, it's a draw. I decide not to fight. I want you to know you're fighting for your very soul. You're fighting for the ability that one day to walk on streets of gold, to walk through those gates of pearl, to see Jesus face to face. It's not just a match so I can lift my hand and say I did better than you no it's something much greater it's something much more important it's something that's going to affect your eternity we have to engage in the wrestling match if we're going to make heaven our home and I don't know about you I need to make heaven my home so how in the world do we wrestle Well, the good news is that God gives us tools. He gives us weapons on how we can engage in this battle. And I know what you're thinking. And if you're not thinking this, just pretend that you are. A wrestling match typically has no weapons. Right? If they do, then you're in the WCW, and that's a whole different ball of wax. But real wrestling has no weapons. But what God says is you're going into battle and I'm going to give you weapons of warfare. And I looked at that and I went, wait a second, God. It's not really a fair fight, is it? We have a cousin, his name's Riot. He's, uh, he's uh, Bonnie, and, or Bonnie and Mark's, uh, I guess he would be your nephew, right? Is that, or great nephew. Nephew, no? Great nephew. Great nephew. Mark, I'm, I'm watching Mark. That was my mistake. <laughs> because he's your brother's daughter's son. That's how it works. And uh, he just went two and one his last tournament uh, this past weekend. He did really well. And I just wonder how much better he would do if he showed up with a knife in that wrestling match. I don't think he would have won because I don't think they would have let him participate. Right? Or better yet, he showed up with a gun into the wrestling match. I'm pretty sure he would be tackled by a lot of very grown, tough men, right? Because that's not the way you wrestle. But God said, I, you know what? Your enemy doesn't fight fair. 
In fact, there's a line that comes to me. It's from the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's, it's, it's when uh, uh, Jack Sparrow, the, 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 the hero, the anti-hero of the movie, is, is fighting um, this, this young swordsmith. And at the, as they're fighting and they're going through all their things and fighting, he gets to the end, and Jack, as they're fighting with swords, he pulls out a gun and points it at him. And he looks at him and says, that's not fair. He says, you pull the gun, he says, because you know I would best you in a sword fight. And he says, well, that's not much incentive for me to fight fair then, is it? If we're fighting an enemy who's not going to fight fair, who's going to take every opportunity and every nook and cranny and every advantage, there's no real incentive for us to fight fair. So we've got to engage in a way that we can guarantee our success. We have weapons for our wrestling match. When the battle is long, we may feel weary. We may feel tempted to give up. But these are the moments when we must remember we don't fight with our own strength. The weapons we fight with are not carnal weapons, and we don't dare fight in our own strength. In 2 Corinthians it says, for we walk in the flesh. But we don't war after the flesh. Again, our battle, he's reminding us, is not with each other. And it's verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having it in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We don't fight after the flesh and what we fight with are not carnal or are not physical. Good news, you don't have to be packing to win this fight. Our weapons are spiritual weapons, but understand that just because you can't see them, you can't touch them, you can't load them, you can't arm them, it doesn't mean that they're not effective or powerful. The scripture says they are mighty through God and in His strength. It's not our strength, it's not our abilities, we're resting completely and totally on the strength of an omnipotent God who is able to see us through anything. And as we learn to tap into that strength, strength, enabling us to do what we otherwise couldn't do ourselves, we will begin to see victory in our lives. Understand when you wake up and say, you know what? I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of doing it every single day, day in and day out. It seems like it's a losing battle. All I got to do is remember it's not my strength. It's not up to me. I can lean back into the arms of a mighty Savior who's going to see me through who's going to give me the victory who's going to get me to places that I can't get on my own why? because he's my savior he's my protector he's my provider he's my deliverer and he's going to do for me what I can't do for myself hallelujah so what does he say in the book of Ephesians? He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And skipping down to verse 13, it says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may able, be able to withstand in the evil, evil day and have he done all 
to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking on the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So in those scriptures, he lines out what we can do to prevail in the spiritual wrestling match that we deal with on a daily basis. The first we're going to quickly talk about is the Word of God. You have no greater weapon at your disposal than the Word of God. The scripture in verse 17 says it was the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the first defensive weapon we read about in Paul's passage of the armor of God. Jesus used this weapon. So we know that it's proven. We know how it's how it's how it's used in battle when he was in the desert place. And Satan came to tempt him. How many times has Satan tried to, to uh, tempt Jesus by twisting the meaning and, and, and twisting the words? But each time Jesus came back with scripture in its proper context and defeated him. And eventually Satan could do no harm. He had nowhere to, where to, where to set. Understand, we will not defeat Satan by re- reasoning with him. You can't do it. You will not defeat the devil by negotiating with him. You cannot defeat the devil by just telling him to get out. But the way you defeat the devil, the way you defeat Satan is by using the weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God. And the most powerful of which is the word of God. We can sit back and fight with him every day and debate with him every day and say, I'm telling you to get out. But until we step up and says, thus saith the word of God, that mine anointing shall not be touched that my people will win. He will not leave. He will not be defeated. But as soon as we utter that word of God, as soon as we yield that or wield that sword of the Spirit, we can cut Him down and He will be defeated. The second one is prayer. We, we, we look at that last scripture. It says prayer with all, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Many people don't recognize prayer as part of the armor of God passage. We stop. And we don't include that verse 18 for some reason. I don't know if it doesn't fit on one of those little uh, uh, inspirational posters or not. If it's just not enough space there or not. But it's right there with it. It goes right to prayer. They don't recognize it. They get to the sword of the Spirit and they stop. But there's not a period there. The passage carries on and begins to talk about prayer, which is a powerful and often neglected weapon. That we have the ability to go to God anytime we need to. But notice, we don't just grab our prayer list and start working through it. That's not the prayer we're talking about it. It's not, hey, if I just go to God and say, God, I need this, and God, I need this, and will you please do this, and bless this, and, and God, do this, and God, do that, and God, do this, and, you know, whatever it is that I want, rub that 
the lamp and, and, and get your three wishes from, from God, right? That's not the prayer that we're talking about when we talk about spiritual warfare or your wrestling match with the evil wickedness. It says prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We aren't praying with our mind uh, or with, with our mind, with our own intelligence when we are allowing the Holy Ghost to pray through us for His will. So many times we get into that prayer, that prayer closet and it's, God, I need, God, I need, God, I need. And I don't ever want to discourage you from doing that because that's what God is there for. But that's not all He's there for. We limit him as just our genie in the lamp. We limit him as just our, our spiritual ATM where we go up when we need something, touching the buttons, and out pops a blessing. It would be wonderful if it really worked that way, right? Sometimes it does. But what we're talking about here is true prayer and saying, God, I'm wrestling with something, and I want to get in the Spirit. What does that mean? Praying until I can't say words anymore. The Bible talks about groanings. The Bible talks about allowing you to pray in the Spirit or praying in tongues and allowing the Spirit makes utterings and groanings that we can't understand to lead us into directions that we didn't know we needed to go into. If you truly want to have the power of God in your life, it's through the praying in the Spirit. And it's a formidable weapon that many people don't engage in. Yeah, they'll read their Bible. Yeah, they'll go to church. Yeah, they'll do all the other things on the list. But until you get into that presence of God and pray in the Spirit, I guarantee you nothing is going to happen in your life. If you want a true victory, pray in the Spirit. Another thing that's, that's in there is worship. Worship. Jehoshaphat was king of Judah and a coalition army came against him to defeat them. And Joseph, Jehoshaphat was afraid. And in, the, and in that moment, he did what any great leader would do, right? He called for a prayer meeting and a fast. Boy, I wish our leaders would do that every now and again. Instead, we just send money and resources. But Jehoshaphat called for a prayer assembly and a fast. And during this prayer assembly, God gave the battle plans and assured them that they would, would not need to fight because God would go before them and defeat the enemy. Early in the morning, they began to prepare. Jehoshaphat did something very odd. Ahead of the army marched worshipers who sang and praised God. They began to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And, they, and, and then they began to sing and praise the Lord. And the scripture says in Second Chronicles, it says, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, uh, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Basically, because of their worship and, 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 and what they were praising God for his mercy, God said, I'm going to fight this battle for you and confuse them to where they started fighting each other rather than going against Israel. Think about that. 
What if you were in a wrestling match against three or four other people? And you're like, all right, let's get this going. And all of a sudden, they just start fighting each other. And you kind of go, okay. You just guys finished all that up, and they all just destroyed each other. Napoleon said it this way, never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. Right? And that's basically what's going on. They started fighting each other. Worship is a powerful weapon to destroy the enemy. But we must make an important distinction that worship isn't just nice Christian music. Worship isn't just playing your favorite worship CD on your car. Do we still use CDs? Okay. It used to be H tracks, but now it's digital music. Okay. Records. It's not just playing your favorite music. Worship is a condition of the heart. It's a purposeful and intentional elevation of God above everything else. We can worship God, yes, by singing songs. Uh, Yes, but worship can also and should also be spontaneously singing words of adoration and exaltation to God that come from our own heart. It doesn't have to be a pre-written thing. You can just bust out in your prayer and in your, in your praise and say, God, I love you. God, you're awesome. God, there's no one like you. And it can just be your, your own uh, tempo and your own lyric and your own way of saying, God, there's nobody like you. That you're above my problems. That you can take me through anything. That through you, I can do all things. That you can just worship him and I take you that when you begin to worship you your enemies will start to be defeated because they cannot touch you another item that we have at our disposal is an item that's of power like no other and that is the name of Jesus in Philippians it says wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name a name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Understand that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name that has the power uh, like the name of Jesus. There is no other word. There is no other utterance that you can make that has the power and that calls heaven and hell to attention like saying the name of Jesus. Did you catch the saying in the verse, the name of Jesus is above every other name? Have you ever noticed that in many circles, while you can still hear the word God or Lord, that, that, but that, that those things are still said in common verse, but the moment you interact or, or the moment that you inter, uh, uh, say the name of Jesus, you're going to get a reaction. Why? Because there's power in that name. I don't care if they respect it. I don't care if they honor it. There's still power in that name. You see, every religion acknowledges a God and they usually call their God a God or Lord and it's still used in many contexts, but Jesus, there's only 
only one Jesus. There's only one name like Jesus. There's only one person like Jesus. This is what makes you using the name of Jesus Christ in vain so insulting and so wrong. Why? Because there's power in that name. That It doesn't diminish his name, the power of God's name, but Paul was clear when he said that God gave us Jesus' name above every name. And in that name is incredible power that at that name every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So what does that mean? That when I'm wrestling, when I'm struggling, when I don't know where, where to turn, I can look at that problem. I can look at myself in the mirror and say, in the name of Jesus, I will have strength to overcome because there's still power in that name. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. This next one I know you're not going to like, but it is a powerful weapon in your daily wrestling match with the evilness and wickedness of this world. And yes, it is fasting. And Isaiah says, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? How many have ever been bound by bands of wickedness? How many have ever felt a heavy burden? Come on. You ever felt a heavy burden? Something I couldn't lift on my own. Something I couldn't bear on my own. Have you ever felt oppressed? Depressed? Unimpressed? You ever felt like you were tied to something that you just couldn't get away from? An addiction? A temptation? A situation that I just can't get out of? It's what, it was like a yoke that just bound me to it? What did God say? This is the fast that I chose to loosen those bands, to undo the burden, to let the oppressed free, to break the yoke. And Matthew has said, he was talking about the, the, uh, a demon-possessed man. He says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. It didn't say or. It says and. You see, much of the church has moved away from fasting as a spiritual discipline and as a mighty weapon of warfare against the enemy. When you go throughout a lot of churches, fasting is kind of one of those, well... It's a nice to have. Or if we do it, it's watered down. Or we've, we've gone to the, well, I'm going to fast from TV. Nothing's wrong with that. But if you go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which tells you all the basic needs that a human has for their self-fulfilling existence, when you look at all that hierarchy, and I'm not going to go through it all right now, it goes up to self-actualization of who I really am. At the very base, it's food, water, and shelter. Okay? Nowhere on that hierarchy is TV. It's not there. Anywhere on that hierarchy, it doesn't say electronic devices, cell phones, iPads, Facebook, media, social media. I'm taking a social media fast. Good. Wonderful. 
but that's not fasting. Fasting is taking one of those basic needs of your life and doing without to weaken your body, to weaken yourself for, for a dependence on God. See, fasting uh, has definitely grown in popularity as, a, as an amazing health benefit, and we can go through what intermittent fasting is and how that can help you lose weight and become healthy, and there are a lot of studies for that. And if we choose only to use fasting as a benefit to our health without following in, in, in the obedience of the Word of God, we are missing out on a mighty weapon of warfare. And we're walking around with an incomplete arsenal of, of what we can do to, to defend ourselves against our enemy. You see, Christian fasting is an amazing tool um, for spiritual warfare and breaking bondage and setting captives free. We cannot underestimate the power that it has as it draws us closer to God. Do we like it? Nope. But if you do true biblical fasting, you will see true biblical results in your life. We used to do this thing called Praise in the Park, and we had this one band that would come in and the band was a heavy metal Christian band. And my voice cannot do what they would sing because it was literal yelling into the microphone. I never understood a lyric, to be very honest. But they were the greatest guys of pretty much every band that ever came through that I got to meet. They were just awesome, awesome guys and really loved God. They really were doing a good thing. Just wasn't my style of music for sure. And I didn't get it. But one of their songs was, and I, don't, I never heard this in any of the song, but this was the title of their song. It's amazing what you can learn when you read the instructions. I'm like, that's really, that's really cool. It's amazing what you can learn when you read the instructions. And when we look at fasting, it's amazing what can happen when you just read the instructions and follow them and do what the Bible says. It's amazing what the impact will have on your life. But I don't want to do it. Yeah, I know. Then you don't want the, you don't want the effects in your life. Right? I don't want to go to college. Okay, you don't have to. But then don't complain when you don't have the job that college affords or the college that you can't afford, depending on. <laughs> the next thing, I'm going to go quickly, hopefully, is our testimony. In Revelation, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Skeptics may refute something you believe in. They may debate you. They may argue with you. They may even present their own set of facts or talking points that seem to call into question the Bible, creation, and the existence of God altogether. This doesn't negate the power of God's Word. Rather, it confirms for us that we're living in an age of incredible deception and delusion. There's no doubt in our minds that we live in an age that is evil, that is anti-Christ, that is anti-Christian. However, something that cannot be refuted is a first-hand testimony. 
We've, we've heard this a million times before. That's why firsthand testimony is allowed in the court of law even till today. The enemy can come at you with lies and deception, but he cannot convince you that what God has done for you didn't really happen. Your testimony has great power. It is the final word. This is a weapon that is so often neglected because if the enemy can get us to focus on the negative, on what we don't have, on the bad things going on in our life right now, then he can cause us to forget all the good things he has done for us in the past. All the ways God has come through for us. All the miracles God has done in our life. All the ways God has provided for us when we had nothing. The healing God has done in our hearts and our bodies because while we can't refute our, while he can't refute our testimony, he can cause us to forget our testimony or call to question what really happened, knowing that if we use our testimony, we will be victorious because we will have the power to stand in faith that God will come through for us again and again and again. Your testimony is powerful. I remember growing up in a church that we did testimony service where we would stand and tell about the good things that God has done for us that week, that month, that year, and understand that through that I was able to build a heritage in my mind and in my in my thoughts of if God can do that, he can do this. If God did it for them, he can do it for me. Understand that your testimony is a powerful thing. Don't ever question it. Don't ever forget it. Use it against the enemy that's you're wrestling and say you know what you may have the upper hand right now but understand that God is still God he did it before he's going to do it again and you have no power here thanksgiving is another weapon you're like what are you talking about turkey and mashed potatoes and and green bean casserole no that's not the thanksgiving actually that may lead to you losing a battle Several different battles. No, I'm talking about the thanksgiving in your heart. In Philippians 4, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There is nothing the enemy wants more than for you to be riddled with discontentment, anxiety, worry, depression, Envy, covetousness, uh, gossip, complaining, slander. I mean, you name it. That's what the enemy wants. I mean, look about our world today. How many anti-anxiety medications are flying off the shelves now of people of all ages? From the youngest to the oldest. Why? Because that's what the enemy wants. They want us riddled. Because if we're worrying and we have depression and we're, we're looking about everything around us, we're dealing with the flesh and blood. And he's like, well, if you're dealing with them, you're not dealing with me. And we're distracted and we're fighting the wrong battle. These are all things that destroy us from the inside out. It's a poison in our relationship. We, you have something that's causing you problems. Turn, it, turn to giving God thanks for something in your life. But, God, but, but, but Mike, you don't know how bad it is. You're right, I don't. I can try to empathize, but truly, if unless I'm you, I don't even know how that's impacting you. 
It's like me telling you the Steelers didn't make the playoffs. More than half of you go, the who didn't do what? But for a whole week, I was like, <sighs> I'm going to have to watch football next week and that there's no black and gold anywhere. You all laughed, but I've got a Steelers towel, and I've got a Steelers coat, and I've got hats, and I've got shirts, and I've got sweatshirts, and I've got all these things that I don't get to wear proudly this week. It doesn't bother you one bit. There are things that bother people that don't bother me. Right? But whatever it is that's giving you a problem in your life, try giving God some thanks about something else. Stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at what God is doing. We go back to Philippians and we just go a little bit further. It says, The peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So one of the biggest things that we fight, and we read in the very first, we're going to read here in a second too, is the stuff that happens between our two ears. It's our brain and our mind of the things that we want to dwell on and, and think about and worry about and, and just fight on a daily basis. And God's saying, I want the peace of God that it should be bothering you. I'm not saying it shouldn't. There are things that happen in our life that should bother you. They are real problems. But we can have peace that passes understanding. How? It's not by dwelling on the things that are bad and the things that are bothering me and the things that should bother me, the things that are going wrong. Again, I don't want to Diminish that at all. We have problems in our life. I got a call from Chris the other day going, all right, engine light's back on. Okay. Yeah, that's not a big deal. Because at least kids are healthy. Oh, I can thank God for that. Or at least it didn't happen and she drove off the road and ended up in a, in, in a ravine because the car broke down. I can thank God about that. So what can I do in verse 8? It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If you want to get out of a wrestling match that you're just struggling with, God, I can't get over this. I can't get around this, God. It's, it's just, it's a fight. Mm, maybe I need to stop thinking about that. And think about how good you are to me. That I have food in my cabinet. That yeah, the eggs cost seven dollars, but at least I have eggs. Yeah, I I I know there's problems going on, but man, I I God, you still love me enough to die for me. I know I know inflation's high, but God, you still gave me a job. God, I I know I I've got a health scare, but God, you kept me breathing. It's a great place to start in using Thanksgiving as a weapon of warfare. And for our last one, I'm going to look at your, we're going to look at this scripture in 2 Corinthians again. It talks about our, 
our weapons that we walk in the flesh, and what we don't war after flesh. Our weapons are, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the point down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And this is where I want to get to. And it says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That, I never saw that before preparing for tonight about the revenge of disobedience. In fact, that might be a message I might preach one of these days. All the problems and all the issues that we have encountered in our lives can, I would say, probably go back to an area of disobedience you had. I didn't do something, and man, it messed me up. I made a bad decision, and it messed me up. And what it's saying is, I'm, it says, if I can cast down imaginations and bring everything that exalts itself and bring a captivity, every thought into the what? Obedience of Christ, that I can have revenge of all disobedience when my obedience is fulfilled. The last weapon we have is obedience. We have to do more than just read the Bible. We have to do more than just pray and feel better afterwards. We have to do more than, than worship and say, God, you're awesome. And more than just fast and give up some food and, and, and have a testimony and be thankful. But we actually have to do what the Bible says. We actually have to act out what God leads us to in prayer and what God reveals to us in fasting. What A self-help book does no good if we don't do what it says to do. You can read every self-help book in the world and say, that was a really good book, but I'm not going to change a thing. How much help are you getting? None. Having the knowledge alone doesn't do anything. We have to obey what God. God tells us to do. If you're truly fighting for your soul and you want to win, then we have to do what God tells us to do, and that lies in obedience. If we're going to have the mighty weapons and be strong in the Lord, then we've got to stand on His Word. That means we have to do something on our own. We've got to do it. Amen? Amen. Can we stand tonight? For we wrestle. Nobody ever said that life was fair. Nobody ever said that life was easy. Many in this generation, they call it the entitlement generation, where they feel that everything, again, going by what they say, that everything they deserve and everything should be handed to them. But I'm here to tell you that God and the Bible doesn't support that. That life is a struggle. That life is a wrestling match. Don't ever forget that we have an opponent that is trying to pin us down. We have problems. We have struggles. But this is a fight we can win. This is a battle 
that we can win. You're not walking in a loser. And with God, you're not going to walk out a loser. We have the tools. We have the weapons. And if you ever feel, feel like you're fighting a losing battle, then know that help is here. I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know what you're facing tonight. I don't know the struggle that, that, you're, that you're facing, but I do know the struggle is real. And if you feel like life is just a struggle tonight, then maybe you're not using the all the arsenal that's available to you. Maybe, maybe you've got a couple of the things down, but maybe there's something you're missing. They say, God, if, if I, I, maybe I'm missing my Thanksgiving weapon. Maybe, maybe I'm missing my prayer weapon. Maybe, maybe I'm not fasting like I should. And it, it just seems like I'm losing the battle. I wonder tonight if you're able. I wonder tonight if it's time to actively fight this battle. I wonder tonight if you're going to decide that I'm tired of struggling. I, I'm tired of, of, of the fight and I, I'm ready to win. I wonder if we can find some time, find a place around this altar, find a God who's willing and able and wanting to give you what you need to get your struggle ended, to get the rest that you need so that you can see the victory that God has for you. I know we're wrestling. But I know with God, we can win. What if we can find right now a place, if we can come at this time, find a place, find some time, grab a hold of that weapon, and win your wrestling match.